0: Hey y'all, welcome to All About the Pod podcast with the University of Georgia peanut team. I am Macy Wheeler, your host, bringing you real-time updates from our scientists, extension specialists, extension agents, growers, graduate students, and everyone in between.
1: <laughs> all right, we're all about the pod, episode 46. We uh, We're learning every day that I can mess it up. So okay. here we go. We're going to try this again, and then for the guys that are out there, we had about Nine minutes worth of commentary.
2: Yeah, that, I, recap, that I messed
3: we, we, it up. Yeah, we talked so just about for the skill team and
2: it was really good. <laughs> yeah, like, it was awesome. <laughs> Prosco and Harris were like killing it. So I mean, I don't know what the, the next run's gonna be like, but I, you missed a, a really good commentary. It's very it's very informative, and it was really good. So anyway, this well, is what you
1: get for having our agronomist <laughs> trying
2: to be a communications person. Next right. That's right. Thanks, Man, we, need no. a perf- we need our own designated person.
1: So we'll go we'll I'll try to I'll try to bring up same kind of thing yeah. what we did a while ago. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry for that, <laughs> but no it, it would, it's what happens. Yep. Um, we were sitting here and we were talking about things that are going on as we go into the end of this harvest. We talked about, you know, for the most part for us, we got a lot of peanuts trying to get out of the ground now, trying to finish that up. And the big thing is if you got May planted peanuts, probably ought to start getting those on out of the ground. They've probably gone as far as they're going to go for the most part uh, with a few exceptions. The uh, June planted peanuts, in all reality, we we'll probably going to push them to frost. And if you got irrigated June planted peanuts, you need to water them. You need to have some moisture out there to carry these things a little bit farther. Uh, farther. If you don't have moisture, it's just the same thing as any other thing. We're probably not going to do any good. We might as well get them up. So we need some moisture. Let's let's try to put that out there if you need to, and let them go as far as they can go. I mean, that's just if you're trying to get anything out of it. That's probably what we need to do. Uh they gotta have more time. Now that was a quick turnaround. Now the other thing that again, like uh Mark is saying, Eric and Glenn were killing it because we were talking about <laughs> soil samples. That's
4: right. The Jersey boys. Yeah, yep.
1: the Jersey boys. They were uh we were talking about soil samples, <laughs> uh things to do going into next year. Go ahead and get ready for next year. So yep. Glenn, tell yep. us tell us what you uh yeah. already told us about
3: oh, that. And, 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 uh, we missed the part about uh, Dr. Avenue plowing red bricks, peanuts, and planes. That was a good one too. It was dry.
2: That was good. It's dry. Yeah, it's dry that, in plains. I like that. Yeah, I after that. after three days of rain. Rain, rarely. Last week is already rain. really dry. Well,
3: um, yeah, to recap I was mentioned. I'm already kind of looking forward to heading the next year. I mean, I know we got some pops out there. It's gotta be from, from calcium or water or both. Um and, and it is frustrating sometimes. Sometimes you have the calcium out there and we get dry and you just it doesn't get into the of the of the nuts to, to to form the nuts but uh soil sampling is the key um and uh Really, if you, it's probably the best time of year to take them now, and I know that's hard. We, we're real busy doing peanuts, you know, and then you get to cotton, and all of a sudden it's January, February, and I was, I was mentioning like if it was just phosphorus, it wouldn't matter. That's not going to change. But two of the biggest things that can change in our soil samples quickly are pH and potassium, and pH is probably the one I'm most worried about because. Um, it can really change between now and when we get wet weather in January, and February, and it wouldn't be bad if you got a false low and you limed. You might have limed a little too high, but the problem with that system is, a lot of times you 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 get a false you get a false high, and you think you're good, and then you get out there in May, you didn't lime, and all of a sudden you got a problem. And we were mentioning when Doctor Prosco, I know you get called in a lot of pH problems or, or look like herbicide right. problems end up being pH problems. Yeah,
4: I would say, especially uh, in the early spring, it's more with corn than peanuts. You know, somebody's calling in. Yeah. So here we go. All right. <laughs> well, let me let me finish my thought before I lose my thought. <laughs> yeah, so you're old, you know. All right, Justin, hold on. Just a So a lot of times in the spring, you know, we'll, we'll all get calls and, you know, we'll go look at them. And I would say 80 to 90% of the time that I go look at stuff, it tends to be either soil pH related or nematode related or both. And the fact that just because you have a soil test that says your pH is fine doesn't necessarily mean that in that spot we're looking at it's it's likely that that spot could be way lower and it just didn't get picked up in the soil test
3: yeah we're doing a lot more grid sampling we're uh, we, we recommend two and a half gr- acre grids but some are on fives and tens and you know you're going even in a two and a half acre grid you're gonna you're gonna miss spots i mean it's easy to miss a spot the size of a pickup truck but even bigger than that sometimes that, in the that, way that, we're sampling that's just the nature of the beast you, with
4: our soils. if you think about it that's and we're all agronomists here first, right? And and to me, that's the first thing we ever really learn about when we're learning about growing crops is pH. And it's the easy, it's the easiest thing if you think about everything else that we do. But we often tend to overlook it because well, it can't really. It's got to be something more than that, right? And and really, that's the easiest thing to to know and test, and the easiest thing to fix, and it's relatively cheap to fix. Uh, Because lime's not that expensive, but we often overlook it thinking there's some other fantastic problem out there that we've never seen before.
1: And I would say, you know, you're talking about, you see it more in corn now. We also see it what, Glenn, where we're pulling in new ground for peanut. That's where we get in trouble Uh, a lot of times. Yep um i'm finding some issues and or behind pastures or or whatever it might be so if you are taking in you know take take a look at that and see you know what you need to do our soils are
3: naturally acidic they're going to go down so new ground or wore out ground, or ground you inherited that might not have been managed the way it should be, but so, but like Eric said, you know, there's enough other things that can go wrong that are totally out of our control. <laughs> let's try to let's try to get yeah. some of the things that we at least have yeah. some control we, of we, out of the picture to not limit our yields. I have a, like pH a quick question line.
4: for you, just as I'm, as we're talking about pH and you're talking about wet weather. And yeah, so let's just say I'm a farmer right now. When would you not take us like if yep. if we get yep. rain like yep. what's how would you define the wet weather to not take it. When would you not want to take a sample?
3: The best, and I've thought about this a lot. I've had that question before. The best answer I can give you is if there's water running out of the soil sample bag, it was too wet when you sample.
4: <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I don't know how
3: else to put it. I mean, Bob has That's this thing very about true. if you walk out of the field at two o'clock and your mm-hmm. pants are wet, uh it's kind of like that kind of recommendation, you know? Yeah. For, yeah. It, but you know, you know, I mean, it's 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 a hard thing to give you an exact thing, but there's no doubt that the problem is the salts leach out of the soil. Mm-hmm. In the wintertime, and people say well you dry the soil when you take it to the lab well the problem is the salts are not there they don't magically appear again when you dry it and it can affect the reading and like again some people think this is not a problem but we switched in the uga to a to a method different method 10 years ago and at the time i wasn't convinced that that it was a and and it's still not a big problem but i'm convinced that that the method we switched to catches some of those things when when other methods won't so um i'm getting more and more calls every year about it and and again the call i get is in the spring and they go hey i thought i had a six five and i got a five five you know something something's wrong there because you shouldn't change that much right <clears throat> between between january when you took a wet sample and may
4: just, yeah. just just a quick reminder remind everybody that a five five and a six five it's, huge difference it's, huge, it's not yeah. one
3: yeah it's a logarithmic <laughs> scale it's a 10 times difference and a four or five is is a hundred times worse than right. a six five and, yeah and our souls I, you don't see many four or fives but our souls, our souls will almost while, go down every, there that low every That's once in a while
1: so right. uh justin Han, uh tiff county a agent how you doing today
2: what happened he hung up. He called on in. The speaker. Uh, we didn't talk to him, so he hung up. Still here.
1: There you are. See, he's here now. Hey.
2: Anyway.
0: I've been listening in the background for about 10 minutes. <laughs> All
1: right. Well, you know,
0: half of what y'all said was true. I'm just like,
1: that's right. <laughs> so, are, um, are you on your speakerphone or you're on just a.
0: I'm on a headset. Can you hear me?
1: Yeah. 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 Sounds good right now.
3: Yeah. Hope your talk okay. went well last night
0: actually it it did i um uh, um we had i don't know there were probably 20 or 30 um hungarian farmers that have come in this week and kind of toured around tifton and the expo and i think they went over to Fitzgerald some. yep so yeah. we got um yeah i had a good little talk with them last night
3: they went over to fitzgerald to eat oh
1: really
0: yeah, yeah that cafe budapest that's the I think that's the the only authentic Hungarian restaurant in South Georgia. You see it. Well,
1: what's the other one in Fitzgerald that they always talk that, about? That's the one we went on the peanut tour one time. That hung. Is that what it yeah, is? Truly. Okay. Was it well? No, we place? didn't go
2: to the Cafe Budapest, but I we no, went to it was Mama's I think we did before you got here. Oh, maybe so, because Cafe <laughs> Budapest is a little bit of place.
3: <laughs> no, we went to we went to the Bob wouldn't know. Bob's I'm pretty sure. Here. I thought that
2: just opened Bob. since I've been here. Hmm. Remember? But anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyway, yeah, so glad, there you you, go. glad it went well. There you go.
1: Well, we appreciate you being with us. We were just trying to uh, get some idea of what's going on. I mean, you're pretty close to us, but still, you have a lot of a lot more insight into what's going on county wide. So, what what uh, how farmers doing? Are we halfway through peanut harvest. Where are we at?
0: Yeah, we're we're getting there. I don't, I don't, I think we're on the, um, you know, we can kind of see the the end of the tunnel right now. We've got a few left. There's, uh, um, you know, had that all that rain come through, I guess it was last week, uh, between the fair and the expo and all my, all my weeks are mixed up. I think it was last week when we had the, the rain kind of come through. And, and from what I've seen, looked at, the fields I looked at before the rain, the fields I looked at this week, uh, it, there's really no movement at all in them. Uh, of course, we had our you know, 45 several mornings, so that kind of slowed him down a little bit. So, I don't. We got some that are just eager to go and ready to get out. I got to go look at the guys. Uh, feel I hit off this call this morning and try to make a decision on should he try and wait a little longer and see if he can get some more out of them, or just go ahead and get them out of the way and move on to something else. Um, I feel like I hate to be you know, Debbie Downer on the crop, but. It, it seems like uh, I hadn't been hearing too many good things as far as yield and grade goes. It seemed to be a little bit off from from what um, um, you know from our averages, and you know we we had a pretty decent looking crop on top of the ground. it seemed like when we turned the peanuts over, it just wasn't. I don't know. They they didn't look as good on the bottom as they did the top. Well,
1: that's is the problem. Any year so. is we don't know what's under the ground until you start pulling them up. But, that's
0: right. And I I think that kind of hurts some feelings, but the um, we've had some good ones and we've had some that have kind of struggled a little bit. But we're getting there. We're almost done with them. I got I know I got a handful of guys that are um, we'll probably finish up this week. Uh, and I got some that's I got one or two that's that's already done and moved on cotton. So we're getting close. We're getting close.
1: Getting close. Did any of them go from peanut to cotton when they were waiting, or did they just kind of it still
0: uh no they they kind of moved back and forth the ones I that i was able to get to, to kind of to hold on a few fields they were able to kind of they they had their 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 day staggered enough where they could go in and start to some cotton and kind of circle back to their peanuts we were able to work a little bit in um and then the course like i am uh and then on the weather and rain kind of started everybody off last week. And just kind of sat around and, and, uh, cleaned up shops and worked on equipment and things like that.
1: I got you. I got you. Well, like I said, I didn't want to take a whole lot of time, but did want to get an update from you. You know, Bob's here, you know, Bob, I know we've been getting a lot of phone calls about some places where leaf spots been bad, but how, you know, is it still a progressing problem, or is it holding holding true to where it's at, or what? were we at, yeah, I'm,
5: <clears throat> Scotty? I'm glad you asked because this the answer kind of bleeds into the earlier discussion on on things that can go wrong and you be prepared for and watch for, and also the situation. So the short answer is, with the heavy dews we have, even though it's cooler temperatures, that's going to shut white mold down in a lot of ways. But least spot, we're still within the zone during the day that it could progress, not as much, but most of our growers, if you're within two weeks of of planned digging, it's either too late to do anything as far as the defoliation or you really don't Yeah. I had a grower yesterday ask me with with a week to go, what should I put out? And I said, with a week to go, you just need to ride with it. Mm-hmm. But but how this bleeds into the earlier conversation is I've had several calls from agents and they're concerned from good growers this year, good growers who are mystified, have waited all week to use that word mystified on the, and the problem with defoliation. When they look at their spray interval, they look at their products they're using, they look at everything and there doesn't seem to be a, a, a smoking gun there. And you say, well, uh, what variety and what was your rotation? But in a couple of the situations, what it has actually been Scott is driving too fast when they're spraying. And that's something I really don't think about, Eric. Is I I don't ever ask that. It just it was a, a one that came up, a very good grower and and try to figure out what happened. And then the final thing, just as a just as a throw that out there to him, is well, how fast are you going? And he was he was going driving way too fast to make Whoa. to get across a bunch of acres. And for that reason, uh, that's that's uh, that's something to consider as well. If you can't figure out what's gone wrong, think about what your volume is. Think about how fast you're going across the field. This, this grower and and uh, good grower, but he was going 16 miles an hour there, through the there, field, Scott. I we, mean, Eric and we, and we
4: we have data to show that you get less coverage when you go fast, mm-hmm. right? So there there is evidence. The and if coverage is important, and and for you it is. No. That if you're trying to do the best job that you can, and everything else isn't right, and, and you're doing that, that's just adding another potential notch, a negative notch in the whole thing. So there is data to show that as your speeds get fast or faster, you know that say that 15 miles an hour or whatever I've heard some people say 18, that uh, you're not going to get the coverage that you can if you were spraying at 10.
5: Especially if right. you've uh, if you've calibrated as if you're going 12. Mm-hmm. You know, then if you go faster because you have to get across the field, you're, you're not, you're no longer putting out what you what unless, you think you are.
4: Unless they have a rake, you know, a lot of the sprayers would have a right. rake controller and it would adjust for they that adjust. speed, yeah. but some, some don't, you know, we still have, you know, there's still some growers that I know that'll spray with a high boy, rate. Right? They'll have 18 row high boy, some of those older systems, but speed is, uh. We know why they want to do it, but that is one of the little things that affects coverage. That's right. Uh, so that's right.
5: And that's one of the things that, in in my world of, you know, looking at varieties and rotation and fungicides, is something I rarely ask, but it is something when when if if you're a girl out there listening and you're not satisfied with. The kind of control you got this year there's there is no magic there there is a reason for it and one of the things is just just to consider what was your spray volume but also what your speed was because it does make a difference i had another one too where uh, a part of the field that was they all sprayed it the same way this year and and the field against the eastern tree line had more leaf spot and you know that it dries it takes a longer time to dry because the sun coming up, mm. and if you're always spraying that, always the same time, always in the morning, you're probably not gonna get the same coverage.
4: Yeah, I think I think those things to think about, Bob, is when you know I talk about this with weeds all the time. When things are perf when things are good, environment's good, uh temperature's good, humidity's good, whatever else is going on, generally things are good. You, you, things are gonna work pretty well. But then when you start having these little you know, the weather's not so right, the weeds get big, or we're getting late on our sprays. And then those little things that add up, yeah, that's right. they, they that's add right. up. They're just little things, but it's water volume, it's tractor speed, it's droplet size, it's rate. You know, it's all these little things that when things aren't perfect, then it makes it work. It makes it
1: worse. And right. in, in, in most years where we don't have complications, you can get away with some of that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but, um. I know you don't have that problem, right, Justin? None of your guys have that issue.
0: What was that? <laughs> <laughs> Talking
1: about tractor speed and and making a few mistakes here and there. I know. Oh, that. No,
0: we got we go the same. We go the the correct speed. The <laughs> speed. The yeah uh, yeah we're yeah we're all under we're all under the, the speed limit in our fields
1: i understand that we we appreciate anything else you want to you want to um say to the the listeners
0: (laughs) um yeah having spent the week at the expo uh if you did come by the georgia ag agents booth and bought a barbecue sandwich we appreciate it we were wide (laughs) open three days so um appreciate that um if you're in tiff county come on so
1: what is the where all the proceeds go for that
0: that goes. So that goes to our association. It helps us with our um, our annual conference. Um, we're actually so this year we'll be in Augusta um, for our conference, and I think it's actually in a few weeks. It'll help with that. Um, it'll help with some of our awards. It'll help with um, um, scholarships and things like that to go to our national conference. So it helps us with our. Um, um, more so of our professional development and stuff like that. So, so right. it's a big help for us each year. It's our, like our main fundraiser for the year. So it's a, it's a huge help to our association.
1: And that's, that's a big plus, right? Cause y'all, you, you kind of like us, you don't always have the funds to do some of that, right? Without some of these fundraisers.
0: You're exactly right. We gotta, we have to raise all of our money. And so we, um, uh, we yeah uh, we appreciate every little bit when we
2: can get. Well, on top of that, it's good barbecue, right? I mean, very good. It's not know, like you're selling high. an inferior product. It's a high quality oh. item, and oh, everybody really at the expo true. knows it.
0: That's
4: right. It's a good barbecue and you get a honey bun. That's even better.
1: Oh, a honey bun! Ah, oh, there you go.
4: Honey bun. Yep. That, that honey is. bun makes Brussels sprouts taste better. <laughs>
1: what are you putting them in the middle of it, or what are you? Let's not go it? down the Brussels sprout road. No, not what you were doing a while ago. Yeah, we don't want that, that middle, to happen
2: again. No, well, well, that was so. a, that was That's more related to eggs, but. <laughs> Yes, I'm still a little green over here.
1: God. But, um, all right, well, Justin, I do appreciate it. And, um, again, like you said, thanks to all the people that come out and support the Board of the Expo, and we're glad to glad to have him uh, being a part of our group. So thank you very much. Awesome. Thank
2: you all. Yeah, have a good day. See you, Justin. Right. See you, Justin. All
1: right. See you. All right. So that, that gets us uh, a little bit of an update out there of what's going on. Um it's kind of interesting. We, me and Mark were, and Eric. I don't know if you were with us. Uh, no, you wasn't with us yesterday or last night. But you know, we have visitors. They talked about the Budapest guys, not Budapest, Hungary, Hungary, Hungary. guys. But they went to. But that, would be. To, yeah, but that yeah, would be yeah, yes. Yeah, it's Budapest. But I mean, they're from Hungary, not Budapest. But uh, they are here visiting. We have all kind of visitors every every so once in a while. And we had a a tour coming in from Brazil. Uh, we have a few ties to Brazil. I'm talking about. We have people here on the station that are that are that are from Brazil that are Americans now, and and they they are trying to um, come up and and learn as well as share some of their knowledge with us, if you want to say. And they, it was some one thing that I got out of going and eating with them last night was they said that you know we look to Georgia and the Peanut Team at Georgia as the model for, for how we need to get out information and how to work with growers. That was one thing I got out of that. And that was a pretty nice compliment. Um, they said that we had it all together. And I said, we were far from all together. That's for certain, but yeah, that
4: could be any further. from. The-
1: um, <laughs> but it's true. They don't, they don't have the same setup like we have. And, and we often tell, uh, tell everybody that uh, we try our best to be, the best group that we can be as far as giving our information, uh, research and ideas and projects that, that kind of help us move them into the future. And so uh, I was pretty, pretty glad to hear that.
4: Um, I've met with uh, a few years ago. I had, uh, I guess you would call a colleague come up from Brazil. that was trying to learn more about how our extension system works because they don't have that, in a lot of places where you get the support at the county level for, oh, they don't even have counties, right? And I guess I don't know what they call them in Brazil.
1: It's just the state. So, right. And, they so, and they're
4: big. Yeah. So, you know, they, they were, well, anytime you meet somebody that doesn't have that system, they're just flabbergasted that um, our society would be willing to contribute into that uh, system that we have uh, to deliver information through the county extension agents and the land grant universities.
2: Yeah. Well, if we didn't have the system, it probably wouldn't come into being now either, right? Yeah, probably would not. There was a long time ago, people recognized the need, and when our country was at a certain level of development, right, and it just all came together then, but right. more than likely now, if if the system wasn't already in place, It'd be hard it would think. never happen, right? Yeah. They would say, well, right. the in, let private right. industry, let the industry take care, take care. let the, the farmers figure it out for themselves, but yeah. fortunately, some really bright people in the past came up with this program and it's it's and we're you know I mean? and we're dividends well, well yeah. all, you know
4: we got to eat that's the most important that's, yeah, ex- we, yeah, we, that's we, right we got to eat and we got to have clothes we got to have shelter so
2: and anybody that thinks eating the food you grow isn't important needs to have a, they need to go back to school right because yeah. being able to produce your own food in your country
4: Get, is really well, important it's, it's going to be even more more, yeah, no, more no important. kid, no doubt. I've always, and I don't want to get dive off. Too yeah, we're much, fixing
2: to go off the <laughs> end.
4: But I've always thought that that ought to be part of our national defense budget. You know, our ability to yeah. produce food yeah. ought to be part of that, um, because uh, we we shouldn't have to rely on anybody else uh, for food with the great great uh, land that we have and the great farmers that we have and the great uh, information that uh, can be developed at the land grant colleges to keep them going.
1: Yeah, and I mean it was kind of interesting too that they, you know, they got to fight and claw to get every little bit that they've got to give to their growers. Right? They're researchers. There is no, there is no connection besides the industry. The and when industry, you say that,
2: you mean Brazil, yeah. or,
1: or other countries, or right? Yeah. So it's either the the shellers or the big guys yeah. have agronomists on hand that go and work with growers, and some of them are very well-educated, very, I mean, they, they do a good job. Don't want to take anything off that, but there is something to the fact that we are non-biased. We don't have any dog in the fight as far as one product over the other. And I think that's, that's still huge today today is still very, very important. Mm -hmm. And anytime that we have people say that, you know, we all are in the bed with, this company or this company, that's just absolutely not true. Well, let let's so,
4: let's tackle that that real quick. That's something we hear all the time about. Um, if we're gonna talk about pesticide safety or whatever, you know, health health or whatever it might be related to pesticides, one of the things I always hear from people is, Well, you work with the chemical company, you're you you got to be biased. And I'm like, listen, here's my relationship with a chemical company. They come to me or they come to Mark or they come to Scott and they say, Hey, we have the product X and we want to develop for, for peanuts, but we want you to test it because we know that you're going to give it a fair shot. And we want you to compare it against other standards. And we expect you to tell us if it's not going to work or not, because there's, you know, if we work with a product and don't give the truthful information, and then it gets out into the grower's field, that's gonna come out and then we're all gonna look like we don't know what we're doing. But the expectation from the companies are they want a fair they want a fair comparison to current standards and they wanna you know, I've there I can give you an example on one, I won't name the name, but there was a product that was being developed on peanut and I said, I don't think this is gonna work. We need to stop now. And it stopped. Yeah. And um and a lot of people don't realize that they think well we just do whatever they want and, but you know we give them some you know sometimes we're in a room with them and it gets heated because they don't want to hear they don't want to hear something but ultimately if it's if a product's not going to work like we need it to work or or address a specific need then it needs to be said that it won't do it. Yeah. So even though we work closely with the industry um you know our our goal is to still give the growers the best answers possible. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, and most of the guys that we work with with industry know that if it doesn't work, we're going to say it doesn't mm-hmm. work. But if it does, we're going to put it and set it up the right way and try to figure out what to do and what not to do. I mean, there um, and there's some situations where we're working with older products and reevaluating them, and, you know, using them different way, mm-hmm. and and we're still learning That's every right. year. It's like
4: I'm I'm doing you know, that right now with some, you know, I'm I'm concerned about the future of weed control in peanuts because we don't have anything in the pipeline. We have one material in the pipeline right now that I've been working for with it for four or five years now and it, it looks good but there's some things about it that aren't perfect and those kind of things so that may or may not ever make it and after that there's nothing. Yeah. Right? So uh, I'm starting to go back into the to the shed. And pull a couple of things out that I think might have some t- potential to be used if we get into a scenario where we develop uh, more resistance to say the PPO herbicides like Valor, or we lose something because of the EU says we can't use that product anymore because they don't like their their tolerances aren't the same as ours. So I'm concerned about that, and then looking at older things that we might we might be able to use if we have to. Right. So. Right. <clears throat>
1: And it seems like more and more every year we're getting into years where they're very unpredictable as far as the weather, the, the impact of stress mechanisms that we go through. That's like this year being as wet early, cool, wet early, not moving for a month. Then we go through, what, it was three, four weeks of hot, dry weather. Uh, it was our first ones, you know, I really don't think our – Plants really had a a good, good root system under them. And so, you know, get hot and dry, we can't keep up. And then we go back cool again. And one thing that we noticed this year, uh, and I noticed a little bit last year, uh, well, two years ago, I mean, you know, I've been doing a lot with the growth regulator. I mean, that's something we've been doing a lot. And it's been spreading like gang, gangbusters. A lot of people using it. But I think in some situations we get in trouble When we don't understand all the mechanisms about how these products work, because it, you know, we can't test every situation. And so this year that three to four weeks of hot, dry weather hit at about the first application of the growth regulator. Well, we were hard pressed to keep up with, with rain. I mean, well, we wasn't, we're we're not getting a lot of rain, hard-pressed to keep up with irrigation, that plant was already stressed in this particular field we were in. And I think when we put the growth regulator on it, we stressed it even more. And that caused us not to get the response that I know I've seen in a hundred other places. And so that just shows me that even in, you know, we might put a recommendation out there, it might not work in every situation. And so we're trying to learn every year and trying to continue to learn so that we can minimize that.
4: So, and, we, and we can change, right? We can change recommendations over time based on right. the new data right. that we collect. Uh, so uh, that's well, it's always it, evolving.
2: I mean, they change instantly mm-hmm. for from the standpoint of insects, right? Because if we end up, I mean, you can go from one week thinking a product works well and then have a resistance issue show up, and the recommendation literally changes from one day to the next. Yeah. I mean, that's not common, but that's how we. I mean, that's what happens. And it's not all that uncommon, right. really. And, that, think and about that's resistance.
4: A, something to think about, too, as you're talking about your seeing inconsistencies. That's why when we make recommendations, we don't make make them or try to make them off of one year's data. Right. We want to have a volume of data to try to capture those environmental conditions that could exist whenever. And so sometimes if you see data from one year and you're going, oh, well, that looks great. And then you try it and it didn't really work out that that way, you know, there that's there's a reason why we didn't we didn't have all the bugs figured out before that went. So we got to be cautious when you're looking at data from one year.
1: Yeah, and that's why I mean on anything new or a new recommendation, a new product, you know, we don't want to grow or at least I don't want to grow jumping in two foot two feet in uh, you know, in other words, just put everything to it. If I got this product, I'm put it every acre I've got. I'd rather see you try it a little bit until you get comfortable and you know that it's doing what you need. Now, with insects or diseases, that might be a whole different thing. I mean, but I'm talking about something that's just a a bonus, like right. some of the stuff I'm dealing with. But. Like growth regulators or yeah, yeah. I mean, fertilizer. Whatever. Or it's just a bonus. Biological yeah, or whatever it might be. Um and so that's that's stuff that uh, we've really got to take it one step at a time. Now, if I've got a disease problem or an insect problem that's spreading like wildfire and we got a new product, guess what? Maybe you do get I mean that's that's again, that's a different recommendation. That's a whole different ball
2: of rice, right, Mark? We well you hope if there's a, a problem like that that If there's a new product that it's been with the university for several years before it comes out and we've tested it Mm -hmm. and if we recommend it then yeah you'd be perfectly reasonable to go and if that's the product that we recommend then then use it right because you're not you're not doing experiments on your farm at that point right that's
1: right because we've already
2: done all the work and people don't realize how many years of research Mm -hmm. go into a recommendation If, if it's written in the ag chem handbook the uga handbook We've looked at it for years, right? Mm-hmm. Even if it's brand new in almost every case, because if I haven't looked at it for several years, if, if someone brings a product to market and I haven't looked at it, I'm not putting it in there yeah. until I have looked at it. Right. It, it, that's not a list of it, it, at least the UGA peanut insect management chapter is not a list of every registered product. Mm -hmm. It's a list of products that I expect to have efficacy for whatever they're listed for. Right. I don't list if it, if it doesn't work, I'm not putting it in there. Those literally are at some level recommendations. Now there's differences in how things work. Um, but if they don't work at all, they're coming out.
4: Right. Right. So yeah, we want to have at least a minimum of before I'll put something in the weed control section. Um, at least three years of data. Yeah, but when we're developing a product from the start, I'll have ten years. Uh, yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah,
1: right. When for a numbered compound and going mm-hmm. on that. So, what's the difference between having multiple years versus having twenty locations across state one year?
4: Well, I, I think that's that's helpful, you know. But yeah. you may not capture some, you know, that as you mentioned, every year is different, right? So, you may have that 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 you caught that year with the similar weather weather patterns which are going to be totally different than the next year or the year after so um, hey I love 20 sites that would be great but 20 sites over four years is even better way better (laughs) that's right that's right so that would be 80 sites so uh,
1: but can you physically do that many sites no
4: no you got to do the best the best you can try to get it out as much as possible and then still and I don't know if you've seen this Mark this has happened to me several times um take valor for example you know we weren't expecting all that injury then when it first got registered in 2001 uh, we hadn't seen that so every once in a while you get caught with a surprise uh, even though you did a lot of testing on it because you didn't see that situation
2: yeah and i suspect it's pro- i mean you can tell me if this is true but if you work on cotton if let's say you're the cotton entomologist in georgia they just got back from a meeting with cotton entomologists from every state in the southeastern U.S., right? Mm-hmm. There's a whole wad of them, and they get together, and they talk, and they all do the same trials, and they talk about the results of their trials. When the peanut entomologists from the United States get together, it's you. It's me in a room, <laughs> right? But And that's not taking anything away from the handful of people who do peanuts in addition to their, their other job because Scott Graham at Auburn is a really good entomologist, mm-hmm. and he's doing some peanut stuff and sally taylor was at virginia and she's gone now so they're going to be filling that position hopefully that person will do some peanut stuff but there's no one who focuses all their time on it and our the issue for like if you get to north carolina and virginia their pest their insect issues mm-hmm. are different so we can't even do the same trials in the same way because it doesn't make sense right and so you know i can do a trial for four years and i have four years of data that the cotton guys can do a trial for four years and they may have 80 different reps of it because they, they everybody, everybody did a couple did. reps in every state that grows cotton, and they can feel really comfortable. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I've got – maybe it's not a slam dunk mm-hmm. right it, we got efficacy here but there's mm-hmm. some variability and then what do you do and you're holding out you don't want to not recommend a product that could help growers right. but you don't want to put something in the book right and it puts a lot i mean i don't know it puts a lot of stress on me trying no, to figure out what that, to do with products like that right yeah, there's
4: no doubt even uh, you take this year we had our, our full registration for break this was mm-hmm. the first year it was, we had some growers using break on cotton we had a little bit of use on peanuts, but I feel like the whole time when it's this year, I'm like, is my phone going to ring? Is there going to be a problem that's going to come up that I haven't seen? Um, you know, is there a variety issue that I haven't seen? Whatever. And there's always that trepidation. I mean, mm-hmm. we put a lot of time and effort into making sure we can we can look at everything, but you know, there's going to be those times when we didn't see that that exact scenario yeah. happen. And and then we're going to learn from that. So
1: let me throw something out at you guys. I had this question, you know, talking about looking at one particular product or one particular problem. All right. I'm going to pick on Mark a little bit because this is the one that we get more questions than anything. Hey, we got a rootworm problem. Well, Mark, why don't you just put in more trials all over the state? Why don't you do more products? Why don't you do more? That's the biggest thing. Why don't you do more? And why can't you do more?
2: So it's interesting that you asked the question like that because I had a conversation that was very similar to that. It's like, well, I know you're doing some rootworm stuff, but we just got to do more. And I, you know, I, I didn't sit say, well, okay, let me tell you what we've done for the last eight years. <laughs> right. But most people, when they say we got to do more, they're thinking we've got to do more insecticide testing. Well, there's only, you know, there, there's a finite number of pesticides, insecticides that are registered for use in peanut, and there's a finite number in the world. And a lot of them are, even though you may look at a list and say, well, look at all of these insecticides. Well, let's just think about this in terms that most people who are listening to this podcast will understand. Pyrethroids, for example, that's a class of insecticides. They all work the same way. Mm -hmm. Right? If you, There are differences, and some of them work better as a soil insecticide than others, and we know that. And if we test the ones, for example, that are tend to be good soil insecticides and they don't work. I don't need to test the other 978 pyrethroids. There's no reason they're not going to work either, right? If there's no efficacy from this, there won't be any efficacy from the other ones. So it doesn't really take long to exhaust the list of products that you can test, and I can tell you that we've pretty much exhausted the list. I mean, we and then it's about how do you with with rootworm specifically, we're targeting an insect in the soil? How do you get an insecticide into the soil. You can apply it to the soil before you plant and incorporate it. None of the insecticides that we currently have that have efficacy against rootworm will last long enough in that application pattern to be effective when the rootworms come, right? They're not there then. So they're not in the soil when, before you plant. So you put the stuff in the soil, you incorporate it, you plant peanuts. Rootworms come in in July lay their eggs and the insecticide has <laughs> it's, gone, it's gone, right? It's gone or, or you can't put it at a high enough concentration. And so, I mean, I could go on and on, but there's the reason that chlorpyrifos worked for rootworms because you can make a relatively concentrated band of a granular in the zone where the rootworms are like a 12, 14 inch band right over the row where the pods are developing, where the rootworms are feeding. And when it rains or where the, when you irrigate, that product dissolves from the granules and leaches just far enough to kill those insects. But we don't have a single product that you can apply that way. that has efficacy against rootworm anymore. There's not one. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we are looking at some granular products this year or a granular product that has a, it's a, it's an experimental. It's got a number. It's actually the AI is registered. So, but the, the formulation apparently is experimental. And I'm hopeful. We dug our rootworm trials yesterday. I'm hopeful that <laughs> we'll see some efficacy there because I think there's a – since the AI is already registered for use in peanut, maybe um, it wouldn't be that big a deal to get a, a registration. But, you know, when people say, well, we need to do more. We need to do more. We spent years – I mean, what, what we've learned is um, for folks who are in historically high rootworm areas, right, they're having a lot of problems. They can't control them talk to a consultant, some of his growers are, they're not going to grow peanuts anymore until we get something to control rootworm. Um, and that's, a, that's a big problem, right? And for, if you look at it from, let's just say, I'd say this a lot from 30,000 feet or from Washington DC. And you're saying, well, how big is this rootworm problem that y'all talk about? Well, you grow 700,000 acres of peanuts and I'm not seeing any seg two peanuts. And I don't, looks like your yields are, I'm looking at the last 10 years and you're averaging over 4,000 pounds, nine out of those 10 years, which is exactly true.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And pro- I don't know what we're going to average this year, but I bet it be right around 4,000 pounds, right? Close. It's, it's going to be close. 39 And four. they're going to say, well, what's the big deal? What do, what do we need? What do you really need, mm-hmm. Abney, or peanut growers in Georgia? But the reality is, is that people who are in high-risk areas are losing a lot of yield mm-hmm. to this insect. And we don't get Sig Two peanuts because of the way the time of the year they feed and the way they feed those pods either right away or they blow out of the back of the combine. And so we thank God we don't get seg two peanuts mm-hmm. because if we did, it would be everybody would know about it if yeah. we did. And I think um, you know, Justin was talking about Peanuts not looking as good on when we flip them. And I know that there were rootworm problems in Tift County this year. And I also know that a lot of our peanut acreage is not scouted. And so there's probably more rootworm issues than what we know of. And so when you flip those peanuts over and there's 500 pounds less than you thought, in some fields, that's a contributing factor. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no question that the banded cucumber beetle, which is not native, has expanded its range and it's in places where we never saw high numbers of, of Southern corn rootworm, which is what we would have been talking about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now we've got this product that we're testing and I, people have heard me talk about it and uh is developing it and it's really good. And the same thing you said about break. It's like i know for a fact it's it's probably easier to screw up with a soil insecticide than it would be with a herbicide right you pretty much can tell people apply it at a certain time mm-hmm. right and this is what you should expect well with the, I'm, we people will do all kinds of things with the insecticide they'll make foliar sprays they might chemigate with it they may they miss it a week early they miss it a week late because the insects are we're not trying mm-hmm. to be preventative necessarily and the Somebody's going to use it and they're going to say, Mark, you said this stuff was good and it didn't work for me. I know for a fact that's going to happen. And uh, so hopefully we get the product, right? We, we probably won't have it till 2025 at the earliest, but hopefully we get it. But once we do, it's going to be a lot of education trying to right. get people to understand that, first of all, we don't have, every, we don't know exactly the best times to use it, but there's going to be ways that don't make sense. Mm-hmm. And, uh, almost certainly somebody will do that. They'll right. do the thing that doesn't make sense. And it's then what well, you said, it was really great. And we did this and it didn't work.
1: It's amazing how much we do get with that. Right. Yeah, it is. It is amazing that, that we do have that. That's one reason I don't recommend the growth regulator on dry land, because there are instances where it works great. Mm-hmm. But if you put a recommendation together, everybody on dry land and think they got a problem, they're going to put it on. and It's going to cause problems. So that's one of the
4: other comments I'd like to make Mark in, in Ties into what Scott was asking about. Why don't you do more? You know, and and I know in your situation, a lot of times you don't have the population to do the work, right? Because insects are, are transitory, right? You, you can't say that just because you had a problem. Well, maybe with rootworm you could, but you know, it's, you had a problem there. That Actually, I'm going to go in that field and they're still going to be bad. And that, that even happens with me with weeds. I'm always looking for fields that have good populations of, of weeds that I can get data on. But there are times I'll talk to a grower and he said, man, I got a bad, uh, let's just take spider word. I got a bad spider word problem and I'll be like, good, good. Okay. Can I put a test in that field? Yeah. Come on over. Well, I go in there and there are and there ain't nothing. Yeah, You know, there's a few plants, but it's not like <laughs> yeah. we have it on some of our research farms where I have 170 pigweed per square foot. So. You know, you you've got to have the sites to to be able to get good information as well. And and I don't know what percentage of times would you say as an entomologist, you've put out some trials with the hope of getting data that the pest never showed up.
2: A lot, and mm. and it's a lot of it's because of the pests that we've chased. So for years we worked on lesser cornstalk boar and still do to some extent, but we've got good management tools for that. But until we did, we were chasing lesser cornstalk boar, and it, over half the trials when we were doing. Things that were preventative. So we were looking at what would be the effect of an in-furrow treatment, right? Probably 90% of those never got infested. And so we're driving, we're loading our equipment on our trailers and hauling them to somewhere else, put in trials in places. And at the end of the day, easily 90% of them, no infestation. No. Uh, I don't know. God only knows how many. God and my computer mm-hmm. only know how many burrower or bug trials I have had on farm
1: that never materialized
2: way over half of them <coughs> won't have burrow bugs. And, and they were, they were in fields that growers high risk fields mm-hmm. where they had been in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Root worms are a little different because in places like Terrell County and Webster County, Sumter County in that area where they have red clay, they're very consistent. But we fortunately, thank goodness we've got a research station there it's in, can do, I mean, it's the same as right. there. we can do right. everything we need to do from an efficacy testing standpoint right there, right? So, I mean, when it, one of the questions, well, why don't you do more? Well, why don't you tell me what it is you want me to do more, right? If you understood what we're doing right. and you understood what the options are, I, I don't know what else to do more, right? right? I mean, you could give me a million dollars and I could hire more people and we could do more stuff. But at the end of the end, it would probably end up, it would help us. It would move us down. There's no question it would move us farther down the road, but that wouldn't, what is that? The, the light bulb moment. It's mm-hmm. not like it, with, with unlimited resources, it probably would not lead to a silver bullet answer, right? Mm-hmm. All it would do is give us a lot more. We would have more knowledge. We would move toward an answer, a management practice sooner. But at the end of the day, We are reliant and I mean, insecticides, whether people like it or not, chemistry is extremely important to modern agriculture. And when I say chemistry, I'm talking Mm -hmm. about fungicides and herbicides and insecticides and synthetic fertilizers. We can't feed the world without this Mm -hmm. stuff. And I don't care if you have it. We could have somebody call in one day and have an argument with us if they want to. But it is what it is. We can't feed the world's population that exists today without using these things. And we don't develop chemistry here, right, at the University of Georgia. We test it and try to figure out the best way to use it and what's the best efficacy or whatever, but we don't develop it. And so we're reliant on industry to bring, that to, to bring these things yeah. about. And the and for peanut at least, right, we're talking about a million acre crop in the U S give, yeah. or, give one, or take one, right? five, one, one, one and, five, and a half yeah, million dependent, whatever. Right. And so, it's not the number one thing right. on, in, and, and understandably right. so, because yeah. these people are trying to make a living.
4: That's something right. that I, I talk about a lot is when we talk about, I mentioned earlier that we really don't have anything in the pipeline for peanuts, but you look at, you know we have one point, let's just say we have 1.5 million acres of peanuts, but there's somewhere between 80 and 90 million acres of soybeans and corn, yep. and that's where the initial development is going to go, and then- <laughs> If by chance there's, um, if we could get it on peanuts. Then it's people like us that are pushing the button, saying, "Hey, can we try this on peanuts? Yes. Or are you interested in in getting a peanut label? Um, those kind of things. Because it's not maybe with fungicides, it's different. Because if you If you take the fact that we spray our fungicides multiple times, that takes us from Mm -hmm. 1.5 million acres up to, let's just say, 6 million acres because we sprayed them, let's say, on average four times. It could be more, could be less. Right. So that's a little bit more that, you know, that's getting you close to, you know, cotton and those kind of things. So it's it's worth their time. But in the world of uh, at least weeds. And you know, it's it's like you mentioned, it's lower on the now, there are I don't want to take that I don't wanna say the people that work in the south, it's not low on their totem pole. No. Right? It's high on their totem pole. But at the at the higher levels of how things are discovered and developed, it's always gonna be cotton, soybeans, wheat, and rice. That's right. That's you right. Can, Even though
1: uh, rice isn't still but, but a million acre crop But
4: worldwide. But yeah, worldwide. Yeah. Worldwide, yeah. it's a huge deal. Yeah. Right. So uh, those are usually the four that get targeted for herbicides first, and then um, if if we get it on peanuts, it's you know we're going to be lucky. But well, that's,
2: I tell even you with herbicides, though, you know if you if they came out with some really good like Valor, for example, mm. right, it's really good. It's used on what percentage of the acres? Uh, at least seventy percent. Seventy
4: percent of the acres oh, of, right? G- of Georgia, I don't. know of, Yeah, so things.
2: so you've got this product and it works, and so set, we we we're going to develop it because we can sell it. We know it's really good, and a lot of people are going to use it. Let's just for say, for example, spider mites a big problem in peanuts in Georgia, and they're not, some years they are right. Some years they're a big problem. The motivation to develop a miticide for peanut is okay. So we're going to put all this money into developing a miticide for peanut, and it's going to be we're going to sell this product one year out of six if on 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 more, on yeah. let's say fifty percent of mm-hmm. Georgia's acres. That's where we're at, right? Because in a year when spider mites are as bad as they ever are half the acres won't have them and then they're only really bad every so many years and so even if you take herbicide and how difficult it is to get a product registered for that and then multiply it times a few times more and then at least in terms of the motivation to look at something specifically for the crop right and i think as much as anything that's one reason why you want a weed scientist and an entomologist working on the crop you grow in your state for the very reason you said because we got to look at what these companies are developing for those big crops, and say, is there? We come to them and say, "That's right. Hey, can we look at this on our crop?" And they might say, "Yeah, okay, go ahead." And if it works, then that might if it fits and mm-hmm. doesn't cost them a lot of money, we get something. Whereas if we weren't here,
4: right, they're off the that, radar. That happened uh, for me specifically with Zidua or Pyroxasulfone. I first started testing that. It was a numbered compound. Compound K I H. I can't remember the number because I'm getting old and dumb. But uh, we were looking at it on corn and beans, and I was like, man, this is pretty good on grass. I'm going to start playing around with it on peanuts. So, I did, you know, nobody really wanted me to. And everybody was like, eh, we, you know, because of the acreage mm-hmm. scenario, we don't know if we want to, if it's worth our time. And then we kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And then ultimately, we've got a couple of formulations now that we can use on peanut. But it, it wasn't, you know, it was because we were pushing. Yeah. You know, I'm going to try to get any herbicide I can label it on peanut because it's a minor crop. We got a good toolbox mm-hmm. for weed control, but we don't know what level of resistances are going to develop and and how bad they're going to be. And so I'm going to be always pushing for, I'm te- let me test this in peanuts. Let me test it in mm-hmm. peanuts. And because we don't know when we're going to run out of stuff or yeah. we've got all these, you know, endangered species regulations coming down at us now and, of course, the general public is. Let's just say this: they're most of them are anti-pesticide because they don't really understand how we grow crops. So I'm always concerned that you know we're going to possibly lose things. And well, if we do, what are we going to have in the toolbox to replace them?
1: So let me let me ask you that question. I mean, you you just said, hey, I, if there's something that's in another crop, I might try to test it. Mm-hmm. So you got a big budget, so you can test any product like that that you can or or what how does that work well, I mean that's kind of the same way with all these biological products the tell general us about public, your big budget yes, yeah. <laughs> so the
4: we, we can open up a big can of worms no, here. Don't. well,
1: and I'm not trying to open up the can of worms, I'm trying to get you to talk a little bit about the other side of this the and the guys that don't like the pesticides mm. Mm-hmm. That they just say, well, you just need to pour all your resources into looking at these biologicals. We got a biological that works. We got, a, and there's hundreds, if not more, of all these words, pesticides. Mm-hmm. I mean, insecticide mm-hmm. or fungicide or uh something that stimulates the plant, you know. But you know, and they got them commercialized. These things are commercialized, but we've never seen them. Until they're commercialized, so it's not like the same practice that it is from a pesticide, where a company has something, then they bring it to you, or you see something, and the company goes, "Yeah, I'll help. I'll help. Right. You know, support you in looking at that."
4: Well, so, well, you normally, know, how, normally for me, sometimes when we're looking, let's just say I'm looking at product X, and you know, because I, you know, I spend about fifty percent of my time on peanuts, and then the other fifty percent of my time, I work on field corn, soybeans. Rain sorghum, done some sesame work. I've done sunflower work for our uh uh overzealous sunflower <laughs> growers in Georgia, uh, bird hunters. Bird hunters. Um, canola, you know, I've 50% of my time is on peanuts. And so I may be looking at something. My first question when let's just say somebody has got a new potential product uh for for corner beans. I, my first question when they come to my office, have you tried it on peanut? Mm-hmm. And they'll say, "Yeah, probably it's not going to work," or "We really haven't tried it." Uh, Then I'll be like, "Well, you mind?" And I don't. And and initially, I I might just do it. I mean, I'll just play around with it and absorb the cost of trying to find out if it'll work just into the scope of my program. And before you know, I even say anything. And you know, I'm not. I don't get any money or anything like that from a company. I'm just say, let's just spray it to see if we. Well, let's make sure we don't kill the crop, and then let's figure out if it controls any weed. So early on, if there's really not a lot of interest, I may do it on my own just to develop an interest and then say, look, Hey, I think this has potential. Here's my, here's the little bit of information I have run that up the chain and see if we can go somewhere with this.
1: And so that, that's one of the reasons I'm trying to get you to say, we do look at stuff behind the scenes, but Mm -hmm. we never talk about much because you're screening stuff Mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. And part of that's just, we're we're robbing Peter to pay Paul for the most part. We're using some of our resources there. Um, and there are all these influences of non-pesticide stuff. But I suppose what I'm getting at is is we don't have them bring us stuff to look at. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and maybe we could find a niche mm-hmm. for something. Right. If, what? if we would have a lot more communication and bring them to us, I know we yeah. do have a, a lot that do, and, and we find that some of them don't work. Some mm-hmm. of them might, mm-hmm. a lot of them just, just don't seem to work in the field compared to a lab, but that doesn't say that we're not trying to get there.
2: To me, it's a red flag. If a product's being commercially is sold commercially and the university hasn't looked at it. And if I was a grower, I would steer clear of those things. I just that would be my philosophy as a grower. They're like, "Why if you thought this stuff was really good, there would be no better and nothing would sell your product better than Scott Mumford at Winter Grower meetings telling growers that I tested this and this is what you could expect at X amount of mm-hmm. yield increase from it. Nothing would be better than that. Nothing would be better from a herbicide standpoint mm-hmm. than Eric Prosco at the Winter Grower meeting saying, "We tested this and we got excellent weed control and our yields were X or, you know, so when, when a company doesn't do that, when they have not brought their products to the university before they try to sell it to the public, to me, it's, it it immediately tells me that I, I, my red flag goes up and I'm thinking there's a reason they Mm -hmm. didn't do that. Right. They didn't do it because they're hoping to sell stuff before we tell everybody it's not worth buying. Right. right? that may not always be true. I'm telling you in my, That's what I would, how I would approach it if I was growing peanuts or growing anything as for a living, because I look at this, like if I came up with a product, if it was a herbicide in peanuts, the first thing I would do is come to you and say, test this stuff. And if it works, Mm -hmm. your, your endorsement means more to me than any sales pitch. Right. Right. And so I I, I
4: hope, I I hope so. Right. You know, I hope that's, and and I, and I, 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 I expect that in and I don't, I don't say that in a, in a way that I, you know, I, I think I'm a great scientist, but I would think that if you were going to try to develop it on peanuts, that it would come through the University of Georgia first, because, you know, we are the leading peanut state and we would, we would be able to, you know, hopefully t- tease out some of those things that would be good for the whole industry. So,
2: but it seems like to me, it's the, the, the big companies and even maybe smaller companies when they have conventional chemistries, we tend to see them, right? We do. We test them. But all these biologicals are just for sale. Mm -hmm. And it's like, here's a graph that the company made that says that shows some a bar that's higher of yield because where they used it. And they walk around and hand these things out and try to get people to buy their stuff. And can't explain why it works, can't explain how it works, can't show me replicated data from a university trial. And to me it's it's toilet paper right I mean mm-hmm. low quality slick toilet paper right I I wouldn't buy the stuff I don't know well, we do have, we
1: do have where we test products and they don't work just statistically in other words they're right. not reproducible every trial mm-hmm. we don't get the same results all yeah. the time and so we don't talk about those we do a lot of those trials we don't talk about them mm-hmm. because they don't improve yeah. the normal thing that we're trying yeah. to the, the sustainability, product productivity, but those are being, you know, that's data that, that they have right. that, you know, we share with them. Yeah, and I'm
2: not knocking you biologicals know. either. I'm just saying no, if, mean, if somebody, any product that, well, if it uh, doesn't, if you don't you have know, a the data. Of, I
4: think a lot of times too, you know, the three of us in this room, when and I don't know if everybody, we can go down this rabbit hole. It costs money for us to do research, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so... It costs a lot of money. I, like in my in my case, I probably it takes me somewhere between a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars to do what I do, and we don't get that money from the state of Georgia or the college. That has to come from monies that we raise from industry or commodity commissions, that kind of thing. And some of those smaller companies, I don't know if they have a budget to, to not that. You know, we don't test things to make money, but it does cost money to do research. You know, I have, you have, I have, Scott has. We have diesel fuel bills, we have fertilizer bills, we have lime bills, we have employee bills. It costs money to do research, and if there's no money to do the research, you can't do yeah. the research. Yeah, I mean, right. you can do some because you're in my case. Again, I'm on so a lot of what I do, other things that I I want to do. I don't get money for, but I'm using monies that I've gotten from other things and yeah. just kind of piggybacking it together because it's not out there. Uh, but it costs a lot of money to do research.
2: Yeah, I think that yeah. people may understand this or may not. But when they say things like, well, you you're you're you are biased because you take money from when we'll take money. I don't actually get any money. I don't I don't make money right at right. this. I don't make I make a salary from the University of Georgia, but my program doesn't even make money. Right. I get money in to pay for the work that we do right mm, it, the money right. comes in to us from them and then we it goes out in the salaries of technicians and student workers and diesel fuel and all the other things we pay for we don't I don't, I don't have parties with that mm, money I, I pay people and buy supplies with it it's, there's no, we, we no profit for me we
1: have no budget mm-hmm.
2: right you know we're
1: researchers and extension our job is mainly extension, extension us three in this in this room we have no budget so besides our salary and our you know, uh, whatever, whatever, um, you know, whether it's a technician that we might have, I do, I get some resources there, but, uh, a lot of people don't. <laughs> and we have students, we have grad students, we have all the research stuff, all of the, like you said, the, the trucks, the cars, the tractors, all of that stuff we have to raise money for. Mm-hmm. Now we, sometimes we get help from the administration. I don't want to say that they don't because we do in certain situations some people um, not, not
2: me <laughs> but um but but uh, we have to ask I, scott's not bad he's yeah. good about asking yeah, so right. he gets stuff because really ask. he asks i don't ask yeah, much, I don't, so i can't I really complain about yeah. that because i don't ask much hey, and, and, See, and, uh, by, and by
4: the way when we're talking about money i want everybody to know we're not complaining no. We no, know no. we knew this getting into this. Oh, absolutely. Job. I like love that, I that, love my job. Let me put that there. I love just, my job. But I but I do think sometimes <laughs> that people think that when because yeah. we work for the University of Georgia, there's just the money a rolling. Somehow it's taxpayer dollars funding. And, well, do. and it's not a not a dime. And I have all and, and I'm probably getting in trouble for saying this, but <laughs> I don't care. I've often wanted to put a bumper sticker on my truck. You know the bump you are know, state trucks, right? We got a state number and it says report my driving report my driving i want to put a sticker on there that says no state dollars were used to buy maintain or operate this vehicle not yeah. not a penny yeah. that's right well yeah. you know all right take
1: it for instance i'm a little different from y'all too um i drive my personal truck to everywhere i go in the state for the most part because i don't have a big budget to work off of and so i choose to put my money into my equipment that I need to run the program or to my people. And so that's a choice uh, because I've, I've pulled up in many, many a growers and they say, Hey, we're paying you too much. You got a nice truck. You know, I, I can't believe the state bought you that truck. Well, guess what? They didn't. Mm-hmm. I pay a payment on that truck every year. The only difference is, is the Georgia peanut commission, Gives me a tr- amount of money for travel in my pr- in my research proposal that I give to them every year, mm-hmm. and that's what pays my travel to go around the state. So I choose to do that because of the money I raise from trials that I do and all that. I can't afford to buy a truck to put in my program because I needed combines two years ago, or I need this every Mm -hmm. single year. I have that money saves me from being able not to do my, my job. So just because I drive around in my truck does not mean I got plenty of money or the state bought me that truck because they didn't. No, his wife bought him that truck. Y'all so she did actually. She did. It, it is a true. nice
2: truck. It yeah. is a really nice truck. It's nicer than my truck. It has air also seats.
1: <laughs> it's also had thirty thousand miles put on it this year. Right. So, you know, it's is something that I choose to do because I want to put my resources where I need them differently than, than right. well, you know.
4: what what I was getting to ultimately what Mark was saying, some of those smaller companies. Right. A lot of times they'll come to you or me. I don't really, they're, they're not really in my realm, but they'll say, well, we'll give you a product to test, but that's it. Yeah. But they don't realize, you know, like again, I got a plant, I got a spray. I, I basically we're all farming. That's right. Right. We, we are right. farming. I, and you you guys know where me and Culpepper work, we basically have our own research farm. And so I'm farming that, I'm trying to make 6,000-pound peanuts. I'm trying to make 250 bushel corn. I'm hoping to make 100 bushel soybeans this year. I could be lying, <laughs> but I'm trying. So, you know, the, all that doesn't just happen. It, it's like farming. Yes. You know, it, it costs other, money. Yep. Um,
1: I got to go to a faculty meeting. All right. Well, we do need to cut this off. Um, again, I know we got off on a tangent, but I think it's good. I think mm-hmm. people need to understand why we're doing it. But it also brings up the reason why... We want these other companies, the small companies, not to be afraid to come to yes. us with product. If we got places, we, we'll put them. Uh, we'll there, try to there, work with there's,
4: you. There's, I can speak for the three of us that are here and the other members of the Peanut Team. We all love what we do, and we all all we want to do is help the grower. That's, that's right. The bottom line, hundred percent. That's all I've. I've been in extension for over thirty-one years some of you guys are younger than me and you're going to get there as well but that's all we want to do we want to get answers to help solve problems yep. get them, work with our county get the information out there our agents and we all love what we do and
2: 100 just- of my motivation is to solve this problem whatever mm-hmm. that problem mm-hmm. is it's that's what motivates me it's not about getting a dollar i mean i nope. want to get a paycheck but right. i mean what motivates me at work and why i love my job is to solve a problem that's going to help agriculture in Georgia—that's the bottom line. If we were not here doing
1: that, we wouldn't put in the hours we do. I mean, it's—it's it's, we love working with the growers and, and the agents and and just the the science behind mm-hmm. what we do. It's—it's—it's it's, it's exciting. So. All right. Well, again, thanks for being with us. I know we got off on a little bit of a a different little topic this time. And if you don't like
2: it, email Scott Mumford. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Send me an email. What's your street address? (laughs) Or better yet,
1: y'all know how to get a hold of me by cell phone. By all means, if you don't like hearing about stuff like that, it's important because we're going to move down a road in the next little while that we're going to need your help. And so we're going to ask for help. Well, uh, so uh, while you're,
4: before you cut off, if there's anything you would like us to discuss, yeah. please send Scott an email or, yeah. or you can or send or us or one. Yeah. If you, you, s- whoever you send Say, it to. Hey, or, uh, or I heard your podcast today. Can you talk a little bit more about whatever? Yep. That would be good. Yeah. And and all of us, even though I'm a weed scientist, I've been around. I'm an agronomist. I have to control my week and we have good banner between us and experience. So yes. we can try to tackle any of those questions. And if yeah. we get, and if we can't, we can bring somebody in that could help us because we're we're trying to make it better. Mm-hmm.
1: So, and like I said, we are not complaining about what we said earlier. We're not complaining. We just want you to understand when we do certain things, this is why we do them. Um, and so, the more you understand, maybe the more you can help us out to help you. So that's that's kind of the big thing here. Uh, again, this is all about the pod episode forty six. Uh, glad you were with us, and hopefully, we'll see you again. Uh, next week. Thank you.